Welcome to this Innovation Forum podcast with me, Ian Welsh. I'm delighted to be joined today by Deepika Mishra, who's a global sustainability consultant with the US Cotton Trust Protocol, and by Mead Hardwick, who's a farmer uh, from Louisiana in the US. And we're going to be talking a bit about the potential for regenerative practices in the cotton sector in particular. But welcome to you both. Good morning, Ian. Thank you. Deepika, perhaps you can go first. But just why don't you briefly outline for us what the US Cotton Trust Protocol is and what it does. U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol, it is a voluntary farm-level science-based sustainability program, which is setting a new standard in delivering value to stakeholders across the cotton supply chain from farm to finished product. And this program was launched in 2020. Not only it was the first to deliver full article-level supply chain transparency, but it is the only program that is built on foundation of science-based data capture, aggregation, and reporting that drives continuous improvement across key sustainability metrics. And what it does, this unique approach, it enables enrolled growers to measure the environmental impacts and outcomes of their operation, and also identify opportunities for continuous improvement, which in turn allows brands and retailer members to report their own sustainability efforts by using this aggregate sustainability data. In short, it ultimately helps all to improve the environmental footprint of cotton production. In that context then, what are the key data points for the cotton sector that growers should be trying to measure, do you think? I mentioned how the Trust Protocol uses a data set to show year-on-year evolution across six sustainability metrics. And those metrics, which are actually the key data points for the cotton sector, are land use, water use, energy use, greenhouse gas emissions, soil conservation, and soil carbon. And these are all the key outcome measurements. Now, speaking about what goes into the field print calculator in order to get to these outcomes are actually over 300 data points from pre-planting to post-harvesting for each single field. And I'd like to give you an example. Let's say we measure greenhouse gas emission. You'd need yield of a field. You'd need irrigation inputs like how much water you applied. What was the pressure of your irrigation pump? And again, you'd need your operation input. What was the type of fuel? How many trips you made in your fertilizers, in your pesticides or herbicides, so on and so forth. And again, the point of me saying this is that data is power. And in short, the six sustainability metrics that I mentioned earlier, that gives you an overall information about your field. What are the trends you're seeing then in terms of data gathering in the cotton sector? In November 2022, the Trust Protocol published its second annual report, and I'm going to speak about from the data that we are seeing in Trust Protocol. And again, this is an aggregate farm-level data. It was received from 17 states of the cotton belt and 258 counties. For land use, we saw in 2021, the growers, the Trust Protocol growers, they increased the efficiency by 15%, while the 2025 goal is to increase by 13%. So you can see they already surpassed the 2025 goal. For water use, our goal by 2025 is to improve the efficiency by 18%. And like I was saying, the foundation of Trust Protocol is continuous improvement. And we see these growers, Trust Protocol growers, they have already improved the efficiency by 14%. Same thing for energy and greenhouse gas emissions. For energy, actually, they have surpassed the 2025 goal, which was a reduction of 15%. We see they have reduced the energy use by 25%. And in greenhouse gas emission, when you look at achieving a goal of 39% reduction, it's setting a continuous improvement path where they are currently at 21%. Moving to soil health indicators like soil loss, we uh, want a goal by 2025 to reduce the soil loss by 50%. 
In fact, we saw 78% like trust protocol growers that made a massive progress. And I'm really encouraged to share these results with you because it's an easy job for me when you have great results. We can see that the soil loss is already cut by 78%. And even when we look at the soil carbon and the way the management systems are, we see 70% of the trust protocol growers do have a positive soil conditioning index, which means a positive means that your soil organic matter levels are predicted to increase in the current system, meaning your soil health is well maintained. So in short, these are certain trends and all the sustainability metrics that we have been seeing. When your members are working towards those six key outcomes that you mentioned, what's the ultimate goal for each of them? What are they ultimately are your members trying to achieve? We are taking one step at a time. For example, this program was started in 2020, so we planned these ambitious goals for 2025. And currently we are measuring with our 2025 goal. And we are also working now to further go beyond 2025 and look at our 2030 goals, 2040 goals. So eventually our target is to look at these results. And until you don't measure something, you will never know where you are or where you want to be. We are setting these goals and looking based on these metrics. Mead, can you just briefly identify your farm, what it is you farm and where? To what extent do the trends that Topeka has just identified resonate on your farm day to day? Our farm is Hardwick Planting Company. We are located in northeast Louisiana in the United States, right along the Mississippi River, for those of you that are familiar with the U.S. geography. Hardwick Planting Company was formed around 1990. It's a partnership between my parents, myself, and my brother, and we farm approximately 8,000 acres primarily consisting of cotton, corn, soybeans, occasionally some grain sorghum, and a little bit of wheat every now and then. Primarily, we operate on our family-owned land that consists of approximately 20,000 acres. That would be about 10,000 hectares. And this family farm has been in our family for now five generations. My children represent our fifth generation. So that's a very brief snapshot of who we are and where we are and what we do here. But in terms of the trends that Topeka mentioned, I mean, we are seeing a lot of those. You know, the American farm has been doing a lot of these activities for years and years, but we really lacked a platform to illustrate and bring together the efforts that have been taking place on the farm for years and years and the improvements that have been made. But to dive specifically into some of her points, take land use, water use, soil health, We've definitely seen trends increasing with regenerative practices that we brought on, but just monitoring those practices, being able to actually have the data to look at to see where we're going uh, and what direction we're pointing and where we want to wind up. In terms of land use specifically, I mean, what we are producing today on each acre of land is far exceeding what we could in the years past. So we're getting more out of each unit of land as technology increases. In terms of water use, we're always trying to conserve there where we can. That resource is certainly very fragile in parts of the world. The less water we can use, the less fuel we can burn energy to use to bring that water to the surface. If it is groundwater, is, is always beneficial. And through technologies of soil moisture meters, we can understand how the crops are responding to water. Do they need water now? Can we maybe use a little bit less water? So those technologies are all there and pushing the envelope. And soil health, that's another big one that Pika mentioned. You know, we are seeing increases in organic matter and carbon that the soil can hold through uses of cover crop and minimum till, no-till in certain areas of the country. The trends that she's mentioned, we are seeing them uh, in real life here on the farm today. What are the main regenerative practices that you are implementing on your farm? 
Well, the big ones, Ian, that you've probably heard are cover crops. You know, that's a a big thing going on. They've been around for years. Uh, That's nothing new. They've just come to light and get into the mainstream here of what people understand. But that's one of our backbone practices using natural fertilizers, minimum till or even no till in certain areas. We've been doing that since the 80s and 90s here in this part of the world and in the Midwest has been using no-till for decades now. So these are not new, but these are things that have really been proven to be more regenerative. To get into cover crops, you know, we've got about 50% of our farmland covered in a cover crop through the winter months. And that means, you know, we have a living root in the ground almost 12 months out of the year. You know, we've got a couple months there where we're sort of between cash crop and cover crop, but trying to cover that soil, protect it. Another big thing that we're into here is precision nutrient management. I may have just made that topic up, but it's more or less soil sampling our land. We sample about a third of our acres every year so that every acre is on a three-year rotation. We have a very good accounting of what nutrients are in the soil, what may be lacking, what may be needed for the following crops. And then we can apply nutrients very precisely by using GPS technology and variable rate technology to put the nutrients where they're needed versus where they're not needed. We're not necessarily reducing our overall fertilizer, but we are redistributing it in places that are needed versus not needed. So you're getting a better return on that investment. And if you're putting it where it needs to go, it's going to go into the plant versus say somewhere else and down a stream or a river. We mentioned water management. We like to call that irrigation management here, basically using soil moisture meters to understand what moisture is in the soil. Do we need to irrigate today or can we wait another three days? Let's look at the weather forecast. Do we have a rain event potentially coming in day after tomorrow? So, hey, maybe we should just sort of wait on our irrigation event, see if that rain materializes. And so using those technologies to better manage our water resources and at the end of the day, save energy, whether that be electricity or fuel in pumping that water. That's another one of our major practices. Something else that we've really jumped into big this year in a large way is the use of natural fertilizers. And by that specifically, I mean the use of poultry litter. Our goal this year, we've actually got it stockpiled here at the farm. And generally in the fall is when we would take our soil samples that I mentioned previously and and apply those nutrients. In years past, those have been synthetic fertilizers. This year, we are going to replace about 50% of our synthetic fertilizer with natural poultry litter or chicken litter. It has been tested and analyzed, and it contains pretty much the same amount of basic nutrients that some of our synthetics contain, but it also contains many, many more microbes other beneficial nutrients that are not found in synthetic. So we're very optimistic about the use of chicken litter on our farm. Really just sort of another point that may not be regenerative or not, but just the continual use of technology, always expanding that, looking for more efficiencies. The regenerative game is not only about regenerating the soil, but if we can use less of something, we're saving money, we're using less inputs. Technology gives us an advantage to be able to more precisely use our inputs. Clearly, there are benefits from the efficiencies you mentioned. How are your customers' views on these issues changing? Are you finding that your customers are asking you to demonstrate what you're doing? Topeka mentioned at the beginning, businesses can now map their own footprint. Are you finding that your customers are coming to you saying, well, what are you doing on water? What are you doing on soils? What are you doing on sequestration? Things like that. In our cotton crop, yes, we are working directly with a few brands and always seeking more opportunities with other brands. And But in the apparel industry specifically, what we are seeing is trends is that the customer, maybe you or I, Dabika, is more interested in understanding the connection between the shirt they may be wearing, the pants. Where did that come from? Who grew it? 
who was the farmer, what he looked like, what did he do, how did he grow the crop, what does the farm look like, what does the landscape look like. So the customer seems to be desiring a deeper connection with their garment. When working with brands, they are very interested in that. We actually pursued a regenerative certification through Control Union, which is called Regen Agri. We were actually the very first cotton farm in the United States to be certified as Regen Agri. And we are selling that cotton specifically to a few brands that primarily more higher end clothing brands that can absorb, I guess you could say, the premium costs associated with regenerative cotton, because it is a little more expensive to grow because of some of the practices that I've mentioned earlier. We are seeing that specifically in the cotton industry. We see that as an area of opportunity to be able to increase our revenue stream so that we can advance our regenerative practices. So as we can generate more revenue from a crop that is traditionally just commodity-based driven, we can increase revenue, we can explore other regenerative practices and really have a compounding effect on what we're doing at the farm. And not only be sustainable from an environmental standpoint, but sustainable from a family standpoint, You know, making sure that the sixth generation is here and, and has something else to work with as well. Those are some of the specifics that we are seeing in the cotton industry. Our grains are more or less uh, in an export market. So we're not seeing those opportunities just yet, but we are very excited with the potential of bioaviation fuel coming on from, say, soil, oil. Um, I think the airline industry may be interested in regenerative biofuels, that kind of thing. So I think there are some opportunities on the horizon with our grains. We're just not quite there yet. Thinking back to the specific things you've been doing on the farm, what are the results that you're seeing in your land as a result of the implementation of these regenerative agricultural strategies? What benefits are becoming evident to you? Some of the benefits that we are seeing through cover crops as it relates to the physical nature of the land. We've seen where we have had years of cover crops, we're seeing fewer weeds. Some of our weeds are not very competitive with the cover crop species that we're growing. Some of these items are actually benefits that have come about that we really weren't looking for when we were getting into cover crops. We were just sort of focused in on, let's just build soil health. Well, what does that mean? Well, we don't know. We're seeing reduced erosion. We're seeing that the land is more tolerant to large rain events. We're able to soak in some of more rain. It's eroding less. We are seeing increases in organic matter. We are fortunate to have fairly high organic matter soils in our region. Nothing compared to, say, the Midwest part of the United States, but we are seeing increases in organic matter. And so those are some of the real tangible things that you can look at and say, you know, I am improving my land. How has that affected my bottom line? Some of those items are hard to put a pencil to, but when your crop can withstand more extreme weather because of a cover crop, then you know you're definitely having a financial impact. And we're also just saving money by using less herbicide in certain areas where we have these cover crops. Minimum till, utilizing that practice, it's not complicated. You till less if you can. It takes an enormous amount of wear and tear on equipment and fuel to till the land. And if you do not need to do that, we just prefer not to. We do live in Louisiana and we receive about 60 inches of rain a year. So we're in a very wet environment. What works against us in a no-till environment is that during our harvest time, which is you know, August through October, we can get not only rain events, but we can receive hurricanes, if you're familiar with how those come to the Gulf of Mexico. So we can receive very large rain events during harvest. And if we have to harvest a crop in adverse conditions, we generally are physically tearing up the land because we have to go harvest our crop. In those situations, you are forced into tilling. You cannot just leave the land in that way. We like to say that we're a cross between no-till and minimum till, and if we can no-till, we will. We have about half our acres this past year that we harvested the crop and walked away from, and it was in beautiful shape. 
And we had some areas that we had to go in there and do some aggressive tillage to fix, unfortunately, some combine ruts that we had in the field. I wonder if you could comment on perhaps more generally within the cotton sector. How do the sorts of regenerative agriculture techniques that Meads mentioned there, how are they being implemented more generally in the, the cotton sector? Just speaking about U.S. and like Mead mentioned a few minutes ago, I'd like to reiterate that this is something that just didn't happen overnight. This has been happening. To validate that, if you look at the National Indicator Report by Field to Market, since 1980, the U.S. cotton growers, they have increased because of these practices, the land use efficiency by 30%. They have helped decrease energy use by 30%, decrease greenhouse gas by 25%, and most importantly, conserve soil or reduce the soil loss by 45%. And all this was possible due to the implementation of regenerative strategies and various practices that Meet was mentioning a few minutes ago. How do you think this is going to evolve in the future? Agronomically, we can talk about a list of practices to reap the benefits of soil health, but I would like to focus on two areas. The first is on documentation and recording the soil health management practices. We all know the importance of measurement. With that comes data collection. With high quality information on soil conservation, what it does, it will help to detect the soil health trends. Also portraying innovative growers like Meteor, who is adopting various technologies to measure better and predict their crop inputs. And he was mentioning a few minutes ago about implementing nutrient management strategies with the 4R principle like having right rate, right time, right place, right source. And all of that is important. And in order to do that, you need to document all that. You need to record all that to go back and see and predict the trends. And the second area is what I'd like to focus is having a commonly accepted definition of region agriculture and what metrics are more important to the supply chain. However, I'm really encouraged to see that the entire supply chain from growers to brands to governments to NGOs and industry associations are recognizing the potential of regenerative agriculture. And one huge example I'd like to give is recently U.S. Cotton Trust Protocol was awarded $90 million under the Climate Smart Grant in order to help implement this regenerative practices for over 1,000 growers as a start. And again, what we can expect in the future overall with the current global implementation, of course, the regenerative agriculture in cotton production may vary, but the growing awareness of sustainability issues as we are speaking here, market demand for sustainable products and support from various stakeholders, they do indicate a positive trajectory for the future. Mead, same question to you. I mean, what are you seeing changing? What do you think is coming down the track? The trends that we're seeing in cotton where the consumer is more aware, I guess, we will see more of that. The regenerative aspect will give farmers a competitive advantage to being able to tap into certain markets where these opportunities continue to improve our farmland. They give us increased revenue opportunities so that we can continue to be sustainable and be more regenerative as we look for that. But I do agree with Topeka is that if you ask anybody what sustainability means three years ago, you probably got, you asked three people, you probably got five answers. And I think the same thing applies to regenerative. It's very early on. And so I think coming up with some common definitions of what that is and practices as they evolve will be very beneficial. But I think more of this is going to continue. And I think that the more we can embrace this, the more opportunities we will have as an industry. I see this as something that will continue. It does very much feel there's a direction of travel moving towards this. 
primarily I think because it, it ticks so many boxes. It's beneficial for our growers. There's so many savings and efficiencies to be made and it's doing exactly what this thing that so many consumers and their brands now are asking for as well. But for now, for Mead Hardwick and Topeka Mishra, thank you very much indeed. <laughs>